nuclear scientist, economist, electrical engineer, renewable energy veteran, NASA ambassador, and social entrepreneur are just a few ways to describe Isabel Christensen, BSEE, PhD of Doosan Grid Tech. In today's Greenlight episode, I will speak with Isabel about Doosan Grid Tech's distributed energy resources aggregation software platform and work across the globe and how her interest in STEM work developed. We will also discuss how she founded Rocket Science for Girls, Professional Women in Solar, and now thriving women-focused solar microfinance startup in Africa. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and today I have with me Dr. Isabel Christensen, who's the head of strategic sourcing and business development for Deuce on Grid Tech. Welcome. Thank you, Catherine. I'm excited to be on your show today. It's great to have somebody from Seattle. I think you're our first person from Seattle, so that's exciting. Tell us a little bit about you. I mean, I've heard you're a private pilot, you're an astro scientist, you're a social entrepreneur, a women's advocate. Tell us everything. Great. Excellent. Well, my academic background is actually in astroscience and economics. When I was young, my grandfather was an amateur astronomer. So since young, he took me on to field trips to look at the sky. So I've always wanted to do something with the stars and the yeah. skies. Uh, that's why I went to university to study uh, astroscience. But when I was growing up in Tanzania, I had a teacher who is a single mom in Tanzania with three kids. She was a consummate entrepreneur, so to speak. (laughs) And she taught me a lot about businesses. So that got me interested in economics, which is why I did a double major in both science and uh, business when I was in university. Wow. That's great. I guess I was going to ask you about, were you interested in STEM topics from a young age? So I guess you were because of your grandfather. Do you think that it must be important then to have role models, like you were saying, in to get you interested in STEM? It must have been such a big part of how you got to where you are today. Oh, absolutely. I think it's especially important if you have a family member or mm-hmm. someone close to you who would nurture the interest at a young age. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think the educators in my life also play a very big role. For instance, my teacher who introduced me to businesses, she was such a great, strong role model being a woman at that time, a single mom and having her own business and teaching. So I think that's very important. I'm a big fan of single moms. Single mom. (laughs) (laughs) We only have one, but it's a lot of work. (laughs) It takes a village. (laughs) Yeah, it takes a village. That is like the truest statement. So let's talk a little bit about energy storage, such a hot topic at the moment, and Doosan Grid Tech. You've done projects all over the world. I'm curious to know the difference between like a California, Texas project versus an Australia, Korea project. Uh, sure. So Doosan Great Tech is a fully owned subsidiary of Doosan Group. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doosan Heavy Industry is a Fortune 500 company with businesses in 
conventional energy as well as renewable energy like wind, water desalination, fuel cell, and energy storage. Mm -hmm. So when when we first started 10 years ago, our clients were mostly utility companies. They were very progressive. So most of the projects that we did in the early days of energy storage were fairly small, I would say, about 10 megawatt hour. At that time, it was considered a large project. And it was mostly to test out energy shifting, frequency regulation, as well as load shifting. As we progress further, we noticed that the IPP started entering into the market. And especially in California, we're starting to see more and more innovative business model where IPP are actually participating or figuring out a way to participate in the wholesale market without actually securing fixed PPA. But just because of the economics is so good that they are looking at coming up with new business model to participate in those those markets. In Texas, we are seeing more and more standalone energy storage projects compared to California where we see more solar plus storage and that's becoming quite exciting. We have a large project that is being constructed right now. I don't think it's public yet, so therefore I can't mention the name, but (laughs) it's in (laughs) ERCOT territory. And in California, we have done a joint program with Edmini Energy or DC Carpet Solar in the Mojave Desert to look at how the various sophisticated control system can help maximize the revenue that is coming from energy storage plus dollars. And in Korea, unfortunately, starting this year, the incentive for stationary storage has it's no longer available. But in the past, it's mostly for energy shifting. So we've done a lot of projects together with solar. Uh, and storage in Korea. And right now in Korea, most of the incentives are for EV, not for stationary storage. Interesting, okay. In Australia, the market, it's, it's rather interesting because compared to United States, there are a lot more players and a lot more lenders in okay. the U.S. Therefore, you are starting to see more and more EPC taking up the role of system integrator or OEMs taking up the role of system integrator. But in Australia, in order to get funding from lenders, the project are mostly constructed by full turnkey EPC players such as Tucson in Australia in order to get funding. So that's, that's what we're seeing. And we also see a lot more frequency regulation use case in Australia as well for our projects in Australia. And one of our, one of the largest project in Australia with Vina Energy, the one project is being constructed by our team in Queensland right now as well. You must've been traveling a lot before COVID. So before COVID, yes, but since COVID, we the company has a very stringent safety standard. We yeah. only travel when it's absolutely necessary. So I haven't traveled at all since COVID. Wow. 
Yeah. So doing everything remote with all these different places. Yes, yes. Challenging. Yes, it can be. <laughs> you never get to sleep. <laughs> oh, that is true. Yeah. I want to talk about this women-focused social entrepreneurship that you're involved in. I believe it's three different organizations, Women in Solar, Rocket Science for Girls, which I love the name of that, Green Ocean Ventures. Tell me a bit more about these organizations. Sure. I, I will start historically. Mm-hmm. So the, the first venture that I started was Green Ocean Venture. It actually started when I was in university doing my master thesis. So my thesis was how to help female entrepreneurs in this DRC, Congo, to start their own solar home charging business in order to gain financial independence. And I had a very good professor at that time. Once the thesis was completed, he connected me to some high net worth individual in France who wanted to donate money to charity, but wanted to have a lot more impact than just writing a check. So this individual funded the first quote-unquote fund, and we started we meaning me and a few of my classmates, we started this fund and we've continued on to provide micro loans to female mm-hmm. entrepreneurs in DRC. And after I graduated, I sort of gotten less and less involved because the fund has gotten a lot of traction. And by now we have four full-time employees and it's been run by local female entrepreneurs. Uh, everything is run locally. So, mm-hmm. so I'm really proud of that uh, social enterprise. And the second uh, group, Professional Women in Solar, is actually a funny story because I've always wanted to be a female scientist with NASA. And, and that's how I got my fellowship to come to the United States. As I was doing my postdoc research, I went to Solar Power International in 2006. And long story short, I drank the Kool-Aid and uh, decided I wanted to save the planet instead of exploring other planets. (laughs) And at that time, at the conference, there were about literally less than 10 women on the show floor. So it started as a grassroots group to get women who are involved in solar industry together to support each other and subsequently started organizing an annual event with SIPA during SPI Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it has grown by itself and now we have a lot of professional women in solar group, different groups, uh, some uh, trade groups. So it has been dissolved since 2016. And I'm very happy to see that there's a lot of women professionals in the solar industry now. There still needs more, but compared to... I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but compared to 2006, I think it's a great... I think we improvement. made some progress. Yeah, yes. we made some progress. Yes. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the Green Ocean Ventures. That was the first one, the the micro loans for... Oh, Google that was the one North. for Congo. The one yes. for Congo. Uh, oh, okay. So the rocket science for girls happened recently. 
after being in the solar industry for about 10 years, I started missing astronomy and planetary science. So I started volunteering at Chabot Observatory. I used to live in the Bay Area as a volunteer astronomer and started volunteering for NASA as a solar quote-unquote solar ambassador to do outreach for their education events to schools and kids. And when I was in Kenya for one of the nonprofit projects with Engineers Without Borders, I noticed a lot of the girls in a village where we were installing groundwater well, they were not even aware of the possibility that you can have an option to be something more than just a teacher, a nurse, or at best, you might learn to code computer programs. Mm-hmm. And, and I really wanted to give them the idea that there are a lot more and why not dream big, dream for the stars? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I started collecting donations to buy telescope for them so that they can start getting interested in astronomy and maybe perhaps someday be interested in going to Mars or the moon and That's beyond. Amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Tell me, what made you call Democratic Republic of Congo one green ocean when it was solar? Well, it it was a very funny story. We were trying to come up with names, a bunch of students. And at first, we were trying to come up with something with solar, but everything was taken. And then we read a business book called Blue Ocean Strategy, where you're supposed to find new business idea. And we were saying there might be copyright issue if we call it Blue Ocean Venture. So we said, why don't we just change it to Green Ocean? Because uh, there is a large lake in DRC Congo in summertime. Kivu, the water in the lake is green. So we said, oh, just call it Green Ocean Venture. And it kind of stuck. Well, long story short, it's sort of because we couldn't get anything with solar, we came up with the best alternative. I like it. I like it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. And just thank you so much for all the amazing work that you're doing all over the world for our industry and women and girls and just awesome. Well, thank you for all the work that you're doing as well, getting more women into the industry. Thank you. Well, women leaders, right? That's what that's what we're trying to do now. That's what we're trying to do. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about what industry-leading clean tech companies first post new job openings, from development to finance to marketing, by checking out our website dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.